Well, Lord our God, we do thank you now for your word. And as we continue with the Sermon on the Mount, Father, we ask that you would teach us from your word. That you would be near us and that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. If we are dull of hearing, Father, please forgive us. If I am dull of speaking, please forgive me. Please grant us grace together as your people to understand your teaching. In Christ's name, amen. (coughs) We live in a world that likes to have things quick, tidy, neat, and extremely simple to understand. We live in a world of sound bites and media marketing and manipulations that make the most complex things easy to digest. Everything seems to revolve around advertising. And if you haven't noticed, advertising is quick. It's to the point. It's not very informative. And this is dangerous because the more we are imbued with this type of thinking, the less able we are to actually think about hard things. Thinking, if you haven't noticed, is a very difficult habit to acquire. Thinking clearly is an even more difficult habit to acquire. And let me just say this. Almost everything that our culture would foist upon you is fighting against your ability to think clearly. Because you see, if you, if you can think clearly, then you will ask questions. If you ask questions, there's a possibility that you might not buy the product. But if you don't ask questions, and if you only can go by appearances, then you have a much greater success rate of buying the product. And our entire culture revolves around you buying products that are fairly useless for you. And the point I'm trying to get at is the way they get you to do that is by appearance only. Soundbite only. Media manipulation only. Don't even get me going about how much money was spent on the most recent election. Six billion dollars. That is an enormous amount of cash. And what was the result? Um, Not much difference. Two states changed from the the previous election. Six billion dollars for two states to change and there was no difference in the final outcome of the election. I have a thought in my mind that maybe that six billion dollars maybe could have been spent on schools or bridges. Maybe. That's a lot of cash. And it was all sound bites. Quick, hard-hitting, guerrilla attacks on each candidate. Nothing incredibly substantive. 30 seconds at a pop. Why? Why aren't there five or ten minute commercials? Because you won't watch them. You'll turn the channel. You might turn the channel on a 30 second one, so they might be 15 second, because we have shortened attention span. We're not able to think clearly about things. Now, if you have a shortened attention span 
and you are not able to think clearly about product A, and you buy product A, there probably isn't any great loss in it. If you buy a Pontiac over a Chevrolet, there's no great harm done, unless you're a Chevy dealer. There's no great harm done. If you miss an opportunity in your life, particularly as a young person, because you didn't stop to think your future through, well, that's a little bit more serious. If you buy a Pontiac and you don't like it, you can sell it or trade it in. If, however, as a young person, you decide, oh, I think being a Marine would be fun. The uniform looks really cool. And you sign up. Well, you can't just get out of that commitment. You will have to do what they say for four years except under particular circumstances. So the uniform looks nice. Those marine commercials are geared towards boys that like seeing swords in dark blue uniforms, uh, but actually going to a war is... They don't really show that in the packaging. War is ugly. I've never been to war, but it's real and it's very ugly and they don't wear those shiny uniforms in war. But, but, if you can only look at the appearance and not the reality, if you cannot distinguish between truth and falsehood, if you cannot distinguish between the gloss and the substance, when it comes to your eternal salvation, now that's very different than signing up for the Marines wrongly or buying a Pontiac over a Chevrolet. Because you see, even if you join the Marines and you say, boy, that was a bad mistake, I shouldn't have done that, it is four years. If you buy the Pontiac and you don't like it, you can turn around the next day and trade it in at a loss, but you can trade it in. But if you get your salvation wrong, you'll have an eternity to regret your decision. And eternity has no end. It is a permanent fixture. So when we are presented with biblical data from the Lord, dealing with our eternal salvation, we do very, very well to pay attention. The danger in our time is that because of all of this sound bites that we're forced upon, when we come to the scriptures, that same brain is looking at the scriptures and, and we, just, we just look at the appearance of things. So if we hear a preacher who preaches something that sounds good and we don't have the ability to peer into the scriptures with any discipline and look at it with any diligence, we might be fooled. And again, if we get fooled, that's not a good thing because eternity is an extremely long time. Jesus, in his ministry, was all about substance. Jesus had no time to cater to the crowds. Jesus certainly had no time for sound bites. And he certainly could care less about public image now, we live in a world where image is more important than character. We live, in a, we live in a world where how you look is more important 
than how you act. We live in a world that the way you speak is more important than the way you think, even though the two are related. And that's dangerous. Because God is concerned with who we are, not how we look. The Pharisees were all about how they looked in front of other people. Jesus condemns that. He says, beware of the Pharisees who what? You remember? who like to go about in the marketplace with their long flowing robes and love to hear the, 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 the cry of the crowd, Rabbi, Rabbi. And they love the, the chief seats in the synagogues and the chief seats at the feasts. They like to be seen in public as upright and clean. And he says, you know, in another passage, he says, on the outside you look good, but on the inside you are mausoleum filled with dead men's bones. Jesus was able to look into the heart of the Pharisees. The people saw the outside of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and just said, wow, these people are, these are serious, serious covenantal believers. They are so serious about it that they have added laws to the Mosaic law. Wow, these are super, super saints. Look how nice they dress. Look how long their prayers are. Look how loud their prayers are. Jesus says, no, it's all for show. Do you think God is impressed with your eloquent words? Do you think God is impressed with how long you can pray? Do you think Christ is impressed with how many these and thous you can pray with? Have you ever heard somebody who when they pray, all of a sudden they're, they're speaking Shakespearean English? All of a sudden everything is thee and thou and forsooth and forsake? If, hey, if you like that, that's perfectly fine, but then speak it all the time. Don't do it just for show, just so it sounds pretty. God's not impressed with anything any of us could ever do. Myself included. Jesus, today, in his passage in the Sermon on the Mount, gives us chilling instructions. Matthew 7, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where we're rounding this out, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. You see, if we become incapable of discerning right from wrong, if we become incapable of discerning truth from error, then something like this will just fly right over us. These are terrifying words. Every time I looked at them this week, I was overcome with Emotions that you can't place a word on. Because you realize that when I'm preparing my sermons and I look at something like this, I realize, humanly speaking, even though God has chosen his people from before the time, from all eternity, that he uses the foolishness of preaching to bring people to him. 
Paul says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I realize, and any, most preachers will realize, wow, what I say actually, humanly speaking, will have an effect upon where people spend eternity. Do you have any idea how terrifying that is? Maybe you're, most of you men here, I'm looking at all of you, you're all better with your hands than I am. Maybe you've fixed somebody's brakes at one time on their car. You realize, well, if I I mess this up, the car will crash. You take it seriously. Fixing the brakes is more important than washing the car. Washing the car just makes it look nice. Fixing the brakes makes it safe. I think we would all agree that safety is more important than dirt and salt on the front of a car. These passages should put brakes on us and make us realize that much of what we've been taught is pablum, is, has all the substance of a snow cone. Snow cones are perfectly wonderful things to eat in the summer, but there's not an awful lot of nutrition in a bunch of ice and some syrupy water. You, know, they won't even, you can eat them a lot, but even if you eat ten of them, you won't be filled. You'll just be really cold. There's no protein in them. There's not even any fat in them. It's all just sugar. Like I said, they taste good, but there's no oomph to them. And a lot of what we've been taught is snow cone theology. Snow cone thinking. It tastes good. But when Jesus preached, he didn't snow cone anything. And this is terrifying. Notice what he says. The first thing he mentions is, of course, that there are going to be many people on that great and final day of judgment who will be utterly shocked that the Father has doomed them to hell. There's no way I can sugar that up or spice that down. A day is coming when we will each appear before God. Your pastor won't be there to defend you. Your mom and dad won't be there to defend you. It'll be you and God one-on-one and a replay of your thoughts, words, and deeds. Okay, let's just hit the pause button there for a minute and take a deep breath. Snow cones won't get you there. And Jesus says, on that day, many will be shocked that they're not granted entrance into heaven. You do understand that this life is very short. And that he who dies with the most toys doesn't necessarily win. One of the silliest t-shirts I ever saw in my life was in the summer of 1990. When I was still selling electrical supplies. And this customer of mine, who was a very good electrician, a real handsome chap. Italian, could get a really good tan. He had the shirt. He who dies with the best tan wins. I said, well, I guess I'm going to lose because all I ever get is a sunburn, Python. That's all I ever get. That's always a sunburn. He says, that's just a joke. I says, I know. know, It doesn't matter if you die with the best tan. All that matters is you die and God grants you entrance into heaven. That's why Christ says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
The obvious answer is nothing. Nothing. He had fun for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. And he's forfeited his soul. And now he'll spend eternity away from the comfortable presence of God. Now the question before us is, are any of us here today in this number? If today would be the day, and we don't know if it is, if today would be the last day, would any of us here be numbered in this unfortunate group? Lord, I hope not. I hope not. And if you have any doubts, then fall upon Christ. Because you see what's happening here is that these people, if you read carefully, they're, they're relying on their works. They're relying on what they did. And what they did looks awfully impressive. They say, that's why I titled the sermon Talk is Cheap, they say, Lord, Lord, did we not what? Prophesy in your name. Hey, that's pretty impressive. Cast out demons. That's pretty impressive. Done many wonders in your name. These are all things that they did. There's nothing in here about faith. There's nothing in here about basic belief. There's nothing in here about I'm trusting you and you alone. They're trusting in their works. And then he will tell them, declare to them, declares a strong word. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, the term lawlessness is clearly in contradiction to what's said in verse 21. The only ones who gain entrance into heaven are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Now, those of us raised in Protestant circles and familiar with Protestant preaching might say, well, wow, this, this sure sounds like salvation by works. I have to do a bunch of stuff. I have to do the will of my Father in heaven in order to gain entrance into heaven. Well, that's what the text says. But, but, notice again that those here who are cast into hell, they're just talking about what they did. And their deeds are deemed by Christ to be lawlessness. Okay, So those who do the will of God are those who practice lawfulness. Are you following me here? Those who practice lawlessness obviously did not do the will of the Father. Therefore, the opposite is those who did do the will of the Father practice lawfulness. So the question of the day is, well, what's the will of the Father then, Pastor? I'd like to know so I can do it. first will of the Father, in this case, is faith in Christ. Let's see what I have here. Mark 1.15. Jesus' first sermon. It's really brief. The time is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the first will of the Father is that you repent of your sins and you believe the gospel. Without that, you can cast all the demons out. You can be a great televangelist. 
You can do all kinds of stuff. But if you have not repented of your sins and trusted on Christ for salvation, then the jig is up. So I'm just going to ask you, have you done that? Have you believed the gospel? The gospel is simply this. You and I and everyone you ever see is a sinner. Christ has come to be crushed by the Father to die to take away the stain, guilt, shame, and penalty of your sin. That's the essence of the gospel. Have you believed that? If you haven't, then I advise you to do so immediately. Because we know not when that final day is. And this text is clear about a day approaching. It's the will of the Father that you believe the gospel concerning the Son. And the gospel concerning the Son is a fairly simple message. Christ took upon himself a human body to perfectly live the law of God for those who are born with nothing but a human body who cannot obey the law of God. Do you struggle with sin? How are you doing with that loving God with your whole heart business? Or loving your neighbor as yourselves? If you had to give yourself a grade on that this week, and you were a real strict teacher, and God is a very strict teacher, what grade would you actually give yourself? Your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. The entirety of your being devoted 100% of the time to God. What percent of the time were you absolutely devoted to God this week? Let me just be very frank with you. If any of us hit 5 or 10, 15%, we'd be considered elite spiritual soldiers. Right? The 16, 17, 18 hours of your waking life. If you do 20%, we are totally focused on glorifying God. That's an awful lot. If we evaluate our lives, most of it is... It's mindless repetition. Just going about the mundane things of life, very often not realizing that we're doing it just to impress other people. Children, you need to learn this lesson quickly. What other, what other children think about you? It doesn't mean anything. Not really. It may seem like a lot when you're 8, 9, 5, or 10, but you know when you're 30, hardly any of it's going to matter. All that matters is really what God thinks of you. you know? And if God has sent His Son to die for your sins, and you have trusted in that, then that's all that really matters, children. And adults as well. What other adults think of you doesn't really matter, although you do want to stay on your spouse's good side you do want to have a cordial relationship there but if all the men in the world hate you and God loves you then what does it matter now part of repenting is actually doing the will of God turning from sin which is lawlessness to God's way which is lawfulness Micah 6 eight. he has told you O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you do you know Micah 6 8? Do you know the rest of it? I'll read it for you. Micah is an Old Testament prophet, considered one of the minor prophets. That just means his book is short. 
Very important text. What does the Lord require of you? I folded the wrong page down. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Are, Are you doing justice? Are you doing justice in your life? Do you love mercy? Or is it a lot more fun to judge? Are you walking humbly with your God? Or are you walking with a little bit of a strut before your fellow man? You see, if you're really walking before God consciously, you'll have to walk humbly because you realize that you don't deserve to walk with him at all. It's pretty easy to strut in front of your fellow man because they're easy to impress because all they care about is sound bites. God can care less about sound bites. If you're really walking with God, you will automatically be humbled because you will realize, I don't really belong here. I don't belong in this party. I'm here as a as a, an adopted child. I'm going to be humble here. How are you doing with that? John chapter 6, verse 40. The will of the Father is that the people come to the Son. The will of the Father is that the people come to the Son and believe on Him who guarantees our salvation. You see, that's the will of the Father, that we repent and believe, that we believe and repent. You cannot do one without the other. Well, some people make a show of repentance but don't believe. And some people say they believe and they don't repent. But true belief will automatically lead to real repentance. Because you'll realize God has done all of this for me. The very least I can do is turn from my own sinful ways and try and live for him. Imperfectly, but at least I will give it a shot. Too many of us, we settle for second best in almost every sphere of life. We really do. Every single one of us is an underachiever, particularly in the spiritual realm, with the justice that we can do, with the mercy that we can show, with the kindness that we can do to others. We walk by and we don't even care because we're so busy with soundbite living. And 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches us The will of God is our sanctification. Particularly with the realm of marital relations and that. Sanctification. That we live in holiness. God wants his people to live separately. He does not want adultery. He does not want fornication. He does not want uncleanness. He wants fidelity. He wants sanctification, which means to be cleansed, to be pure. And lastly, those famous words of the Lord's half-brother, James. Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's why we do things like Operation Christmas Child. That's why we support the orphanage in northern India. That's why we support missions. 
to support widows and orphans in their affliction. But it shouldn't be just one time a year. It should be a 365, seven days a week type of thing. And even that, giving money to good causes, good Christian causes, is much easier than keeping yourself unspotted from the world. So let me leave you with that challenge. How are you doing with keeping yourself unspotted from the world? That's very difficult. In the past, you could escape the world because the world wasn't with you 24-7. This week I had somebody complain to me, you know what, I can't escape the Christmas songs on the radio. I said, yes you can, you can turn the radio off, brother. (laughs) You, You can turn that off button. You don't have to listen to the, we'll be having a wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney 50 times a day for the next three weeks. No, next six weeks. You can turn the off button. You can put in a CD. You have that option. Do you realize that the world just comes at us in our day? It comes at us. You go to a restaurant and it comes at you. You turn on the radio and it comes at you. It's at you and at you. And it's very difficult in our day to keep ourselves unspotted because it's always being thrown at us. But that's the will of the Father. Those things that I just gave you are just the tip of the iceberg, but they are the basics. So, if you don't want to hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you, then take heed to those things, please. Believe the gospel and repent, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for the grace to do just that. In Jesus' name.